0: And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Harwitz, kicking off a new week. And if my voice sounds kind of enthusiastic about the new week, I will let you know I am not very enthusiastic about starting this new week. I feel like we're in the twilight zone. I feel like I can't relate to so many colleagues of mine that have been working together for years up until just days, weeks, months ago on some of these very same principles and yet a week out from celebrating july 4th the self-evident truths nothing is self-evident anymore there's no natural law there's no truths about the social compact the social contract the role of government even so-called conservatives just don't care anymore you know i usually don't talk like this um I don't like using sexual analogies and I apologize ahead of time if I offend anyone and I, I don't like using it either. I, I just I have no better way of describing how I feel right now. And just setting the table to give you a a sense of what is going on and just how how crazy it is. And I apologize there if uh, you hear some of the kids in the background <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm working for my home office and with the kids uh, in between school and camp, it's kind of tough. So uh, my, my office is halfway soundproof, but if you hear a little bit bleeding through, that's what it is. Um, anyway, <clears throat> you know, a man comes home after a tough day at work and he hears panting in his bedroom, comes up, sees uh, another man in there with his wife going at it. And the guy comes out naked and says, hey, man, I'm really thirsty here. Could you, get, you have a nice cold one in the fridge? And the guy's like, sure, hey, you know, go take it. We have the finest American beer in our refrigerator, some Dr. Pepper if you want to, and there's some leftover pepper steak at the bottom shelf. And then the husband turns to the wife and says, hey, I, I know, honey, I know it's been a tough uh, couple weeks here. I, I understand. I understand what you're doing. Um... And then, you know, a bystander comes and says, hey, buddy, d- do you not even care what your wife's doing? It d- d- does not even bother you. And the guy says, look, I mean, it's it's bad, but, you know, at least my wife's not uh, screwing around with someone who has AIDS. That is <clears throat> and again, I apologize. I, I don't like the vulgarity of that analogy, but that is exactly what is happening now. I feel like there's nothing the Republican Party can do that conservatives will even take it to the brink, spend a week saying this is a betrayal, yelling at it. I mean, if you want to say, hey, I accept an apology later on and move on and don't call for a divorce, at at least you fight about it. At least you bring it up. At least you show it bothers you. You know, we brought up a number of issues over the last number of weeks and months. Core principles, fiscal, social, national security, and conservatives just don't care. Hey, Mr. Trump, what can I do to help you? Hey, uh, oh, the Democrats are so bad. Well, at least we didn't have Hillary. But there's something about Obamacare that supersedes everything. What's taking place this week with Obamacare is the Obergefell of fiscal policy. We already know conservatives don't care about social policy anymore. And when I say social policy, I don't mean making America socially conservative. I mean not being a transgender waste hole. But no no one cares. No one cares. Fine. But, Daniel, I I don't want to talk so much about the social issues, but I'm a fiscal conservative. Okay. So... All of us have been talking about Obamacare. Now, this is not a parochial issue. You know, we have a lot of issues like judicial reform we talk about here that, unfortunately, many others don't. It's the foundational issue that's going to determine the direction of our country. But I get it. I get it that people don't understand, that people don't know what's going on because they listen to these phony radio show hosts or the phony Fox News and their brains get dumbed down. But Obamacare is everyone's issue. That's something everyone understood. Everyone understood what it did. Everything I'm writing about now, every Republican outlet has written about for the last six, seven years. All of a sudden, when it comes time to actually affect the outcome, they look at me like I'm crazy. Daniel, you're a purist. Nothing's ever good enough for you. And meanwhile, you're right. I, I am moving the goalposts. I'm moving it left. We're, we're willing to take a partial repeal. Just get rid of the regs, at least. That's all we're saying. No, Nothing. Nothing. And and, and the movement's okay with it. You know, since we met last, last week, when we first talked about the introduction of this bill, which is, you know, it literally just is Obamacare, albeit in the worst insolvent way that Republicans will own the accelerated death spiral immediately. It's worse than doing nothing. And and nothing. Nobody talks about it. You know, I'm going to read to you from a Politico article. And I know it's political. I know they could exaggerate. I know they could take people out of context. But it sums up generally what I am hearing and seeing. The title is Freedom Caucus Holds Fire on Senate Obamacare Appeal Bill. The most hardline conservatives in the House are taking an unusually cautious approach to the Senate's Obamacare replacement, promising to keep an open mind about whatever their colleagues across the Capitol send back. It's a change in strategy for the House Freedom Caucus. When House leaders first released a health care bill in February, for instance, group members took to the television talk shows to pan the plan as Obamacare light, furious that it didn't, in their eyes, do enough to unravel the 2010 health care law. They also threatened to withhold their support until changes were made in later won concessions. For now, those hardball tactics have disappeared. As the Senate looks to pass its own health care legislation this week, those same House conservatives are taking a more measured approach, even as several conservatives in the Senate are currently balking at the bill. Quote, I would like it to be better, but if this is the best we can do across the whole conference and the whole Congress, I have to respect that, said Representative Scott Perry. Look, Scott's a good guy. But we are at the point now where there is nothing the Republicans and Trump could do that even the conservatives are like, they won't even fight it. They won't even say this is a betrayal. Like, "Eh, I I understand. This is the best you can do. Like, what? I mean, and, and there'd be one thing if we're doing great things on 10 other issues. There's not a single issue we are promoting conservatism on. Because the measure, the litmus test of what it means to do what's right for us now is, well, at least it's not the Democrats. So there's no floor to that. At least my wife's not cheating on someone with HIV. You could always do that. We haven't reached the nadir. I don't understand this and facts and details just don't matter. Many of you have heard me throughout talk radio, local shows, national shows talking about the details of the bill, the details of healthcare, a vision for what free market healthcare should look like. These are all things everyone was saying until just a couple weeks ago. Conservative colleagues of mine, they just don't don't care. And, you know, some people might say, well, Daniel, it is hard for leadership to get the other votes because you have people on the left end of the Republican Party that think it's too much. It's kabuki theater. The Republican leadership never wanted to repeal it. So they never gave a united vision that gave them confidence that this is going to work. So, yeah, then the liberal Republicans are going to do their thing, too. If you actually had a party that stood for something, everyone would fall in line, and the few that don't, well, you'd run them out of the party like the Democrats do, to their people. You wouldn't ha- you wouldn't back Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, especially a red state when you had a primary opponent. But none of them want to repeal it. But again, I, I, this audience, you guys are smart enough to already know the Republican Party stands for nothing. I'm talking about the so-called conservative movement. They just don't Care. And what I keep telling them is, this is not a matter of, oh, I'll take 5%. I'll take 3%. It's negative. Do you not understand that if you keep the regs and the subsidies in place, so the market's not healed, the market is, the, the death spiral continues. But the one thing you do repeal immediately is the requirement of the individual to purchase and more importantly, the requ- the requirement from that employers cover it, they're going to drop it in three seconds. And then you're going to have adverse selection, and then the exchanges and even the employer plans will only be comprised of sick people, and it will collapse within six months, and it will be blamed, ironically, on repeal and on Republicans, and they'll own it, and they'll be dead politically. You're not going to make it to those notional promised Medicaid reforms in seven years from now. And I don't want to talk about Medicaid. Let's talk about the private market. Okay. We, we have enough. Uh, 55% is government run. L- 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 you know, And, and again. A, a big part of the rest is employer sponsored. Which is really also the government sponsored. Tendentious uh, tax treatment. There's very little private market. That's all we're asking. God forbid. Should I be asking to roll back. The, the 1.6 trillion. In annu- annual uh, healthcare spending the Leviathan. God forbid, should we be pushing for what Reagan pushed, rolling back the Great Society. We've agreed to all that. We've agreed to fund Medicaid to keep those already that were locked into it, which is 84% of the people covered. So you are you pretty much took care of the political problem by doing that. Now could we, and we agreed to hundreds of billions in dollars in high-risk pools, in addition to this, the state of high-risk pools and S-Chip and all the programs. All we're asking is that the remaining market be something feasible. You know, it's amazing to me. The Republican bill, so it, it doesn't, it, it leaves the entire structure of the subsidies until 2020, which means forever. Because like I said, within six months of this, by 2018, we're dead. Politically, policy-wise, we're dead. You're not, you're not going to make it to 2020. But, so what does it do from 2020? It says, okay, so then rather than subsidizing people earning up to 400% of the poverty rate, let's just say for a, uh, family of four in most markets, most geographical locations, that's about um, $95,000 a year. We're going to do it for those, uh, up to those earning just 350% of the poverty level, and that's about somewhere in the 80s. Now, I I remember Wall Street Journal, Fox News, issue after issue, you know, paper after paper, article after article for years, making fun out of Obamacare, how you create this massive cliff this massive albatross around economic growth and upward mobility because there's a massive cliff that if you earn $1 over that whatever it was, close to 95000 maybe maybe now it's like $98,000, thousand, you are done. You own paying $20,000 in premiums because of Obamacare, because of the regs that the Republicans aren't getting rid of. We all recognize that, how absurd that is. So now you create a cliff from eighty-five to eighty-six thousand. It's the same thing, and that's not a lot of money. You know, any family of four, especially in a major city, especially into your thirties, forties, certainly fifties, they've been working for a while. You're smart. You're well educated. Certainly, the breadwinner of the household. Usually, you would at some point want to earn at least that. But but most certainly, if you're both working, um, that's going to cut to the entire middle class you're going to be out of the range of the subsidies. But that's the point. Why do we need the subsidies? Because people can't afford it. Why can't they afford it? Because of the government regs and the subsidies themselves. Because again, the subsidies, it's not like food stamps. Food stamps, you give people a defined contribution, go out and buy food. Here, it's not like you give them money, defined contribution, go out and buy, pay for health care, purchase a, you know, high-deductible health insurance plan. No. What we're saying here is the way the Obamacare subsidies work and indeed what the GOP bill keeps and maintains is open-ended. So we say, all right, you're earning $55,000 a year. You have this amount of kids, this area, this age. So you only have to spend this amount of your AGI in healthcare. So let's just say that means you don't have to pay for more than $1,500 a year. So what, what that signals to the insurers is that, oh, I can now charge $50,000 a year in premiums knowing, see, normally you couldn't do that because there's no market demand for that. People couldn't pay it. But the government will kick in $49,000 and the guy will be responsible for you know, just the 1,000 and they could go up and up. Theoretically, they could charge a million dollars. And that's why in some markets, Anchorage, Alaska, it's gotten up to that, you know $50,000 in premiums. So, this is not a matter of, well, Daniel, isn't it it's something a Stabashtoy can do? This is suicide. It's pulling at 14%. What are you getting for it? This is not even a, I'm not even giving a conservative argument against this now. I'm giving a technocratic argument and a political argument. But they don't want to listen. They just don't want to listen. And make no mistake about it, this is Trump care. Uh, you, you know, look, you know how I feel about McConnell, Ryan, Congressional Republicans, but we knew that. We elected Trump to take us in a different direction. Now, I'm I'm sick of hearing people, wow, well, Daniel, you know he wasn't a conservative. Well, yeah, gee, I knew that, obviously, but I'm saying the fact that he ran and lied and that some of us knew he was lying is not an excuse for him lying. You know, I have an article posted We're coming out today going through his blueprint that he put out on his campaign website. It's more or less our stuff. It was all based on fully repealing Obamacare and dealing with the chronically ill through high-risk pools and expanded HSAs, cross-state lines, FDA reform, medical malpractice reform, all, all the things on our list. And it's in the GOP platform that was adopted at Trump's own convention that Trump himself praised. It's all there. I'm not the one moving the goalposts. The the most basic things in the GOP platform. Daniel, you're a purist. Nothing's ever enough for you. I, I, I can't believe it. And everyone's okay with this. Just just like everyone was okay with the amnesty that Trump did. But there, at least you could say, unfortunately, no one knew about it, I guess. But here they they see it. Like, hey, honey, how's that panting going on there with uh? With your lover, hey, uh, you need a drink? They just don't care. It's a crisis of, you know, I, I've already written my uh, July Fourth manifesto and uh, submitted it to our copy editing team here because I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here on Thursday. I'm taking a vacation uh, for a couple days with the family, and that might be the day they vote on this. I just don't care. I, you know, I'm just tuning it out. Um, you know, I was hoping they'd be done by then, and I wouldn't miss anything. But what could I do already? Am I, I, I want you guys to tell me, tweet me at arm conservative, send me an email. Am I missing something? Are my expectations too high? I mean, you could always capitulate in the end. You could always give in. But at least as the opening bid, say this is a disgrace. Put forth your plan. But no, conservatives won't even do that. They'll just sit there, oh, okay, oh, I guess that's all we can do. Glad we don't have the Democrats in charge. We don't believe in anything anymore. You know, this is a big part of Mark Levin's book. I'm, I'm just reading it now. He sent me an advanced copy. It's coming out. Actually, today is the is the grand opening Um, the of the release, Rediscovering Americanism. It's actually number two rated on Amazon. Of, of, of all books, not just political books. So look, it gives me hope that people still uh, get it. And by the way, pick up a copy of my book, "Stolen in Sovereignty, when you're at it. Um, that's gonna be a big part of my uh, July 4th manifesto. But anyway, you talk about self-evident truths and natural law, God-given rights, God-given principles on governance, on what is the role of government and its relationship with the civil society. Our people don't believe in that anymore. When I say our people, I mean conservatives who work in politics. They just don't believe in it. I think your average person, if the conservative movement and the conservative members would use their megaphone, if Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Fox News that that have the conservative audience captivated would say what we're saying, I actually think it would, it would resonate. I'm not into this soft bigotry of low expectations. When you give people, um, you know, a choice between garbage and more garbage, yeah, I mean, they'll pick the lesser of two evils, but if you give them a steak, maybe they'll actually eat it. Why don't we actually try it? We offer our people nothing. I I can't believe it. This is the biggest news story. This is the biggest betrayal of all time where they said every aspect of Obamacare. They litigated against it for six years and the minute it comes time to do it they 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 not just codify it they embrace it they praise it they say it's needed except for the taxes we don't want to fund it with taxes we want to fund it with debt um it it's it just it's nuts and again it it's the worst possible political outcome because you're incurring all the li- liabilities of repeal in a divided country but you're getting none of the actual policy benefits because the market's not going to change because it doesn't actually repeal it. You know, we always knew we have a very divided country. 40 to 43% is going to be viscerally opposed to this. But on net, you're going to have 50 to 55% was the hope would support it because they would see the premiums coming down. They would see the market healed. They would see the choices and options. Many insurers, innovation. The people want to be on the on the dole. Yeah, I mean, we we always have that problem. But we you know we've still won elections recently. Despite that. You punch through it. But now what's happening is we're going to get all that crowd against us because of at least on paper. It makes some cuts to Medicaid, by the way, after growing it like exponentially um, for the next three years and then freezing it at that record high baseline. And we're never going to get to that. But but, you know, on paper, it's there. So Democrats could hit at it. But then we don't do anything and what's worse is, like I told you, if you're going to keep Obamacare, you have to keep the employer and individual mandates. Otherwise, it's really accelerated. This is what happened in the U.S. territories, the Guam, Mariana Islands, Virgin Islands. Um, because of a quirk in the drafting of Obamacare, they had the regs that forced insurance to cover everyone everything, but it didn't have the um, individual mandate. So it collapsed within six months. That's what Republicans are gonna own under the guise of repeal. And ironically, th- there's one other big point you have to understand here that n- that seems to be lost on everyone, and that's getting rid of the employer mandate. Now, employer-sponsored insurance was the Obamacare before Obamacare. Okay? Um, you know, why was health care and health insurance too expensive, relatively even before Obamacare. Why didn't healthcare work like a regular market? And again, don't you know? I've said this before. I don't mean end of life care, emergency care. Uh, there's elements of healthcare that aren't going to be perfect like a, a market. We understand that it's going to be more expensive than other things. We get that it's not going to be a utopia. But why is the rest of it? Why is it work so retarded? Second payer pays to the third payer, which pays to the fourth payer. So, Obamacare before Obamacare was this employer tax exemption that the government said, "Hey, employers, we're going to give you a special tax break if you offer your employees health insurance, medical insurance." Right? That was that was the big uh, big thing, right? That's the original sin of healthcare, um, and and that's the true pre existing condition. <laughs> of the market inefficiencies in healthcare. So basically, born out of the World War II era era wage controls, the federal government codified insurance as part of salaries. Um, With this tax exemption for employer-provided health insurance, it was officially created by the IRS in 1954. So this distortion to both the labor market and the insurance market has been cataclysmic because every year roughly 275 billion dollars that's how much this is worth is pumped into overutilizing and distorting the product of health health insurance rather than increasing wages. So rather than getting $20,000 more in wages, it's dumped into a product. So if you want to know why health care is a lot of money and why health insurance has been distorted is meaning Most of healthcare should be like any other thing where you pay fee for service. The consumer pays to the provider. Why is it that everything has become insurance and then most insurance is now provided by the fourth party paying the third party, the employer paying the insurance company to pay the provider? So again, this was this employer-based thing. It tethered healthcare to work because what it did is you know employers cuz they get a good deal and it's in bulk they just overutilized it and they get the tax exemption that's what they could spend it on instead of higher wages so they just dumped in 15 to 20,000 dollars worth into everyone even young healthy people so what that did is it bit up the market it bit up the market for insurance so it did a couple things one is it hurt the individual that if i don't get it from work now i'm screwed because now i'm completely at a disadvantage bargaining with insurance companies cuz i'm like they don't want to deal with me, so I'll give you a plan for a lot of money. I'm left out in the cold. That's how you get pre-existing conditions with a lot of people because um, you know you lost your job or you didn't get it from work, and I have a hard time getting a loan. Um, and then, more importantly, insurance is not the end all. Insurance is actually the cancer on healthcare. And when I say insurance, I don't mean any form of it. You need some form of insurance for catastrophic, but I mean working not like any other insurance, like life homeowners, car insurance, um, you know, medical malpractice insurance. It's actually a payment plan. Because again, it's overutilized because you're not paying for it. The employer's paying it for it. So that's how it's become just overutilizing, overutilizing. And that, that bit up the price of health care because now most people don't pay for health care anymore. They pay for health insurance because they get health insurance from their job. I'm going to have a longer piece explaining this, showing how healthcare in America has been destroyed in one graph, where basically in 1960, before this really started in earnest, 50% of all dollars were paid by the individual, not not just for an individual health insurance plan, but out of pocket, out of pocket to the healthcare provider. Now it's down to just 10% of all dollars is actually paid directly. That's why it's so much money. And that's why, by the way, Hospitals and doctors don't post prices, which is the most important factor in a free market. If if, if you had to post prices, that's the single biggest reform I could make. With the advent of the internet, I mean, everyone, even your poorest, dumbest person in this country is great at shopping online. Everyone knows how to do that. Prices would tumble. But they don't need to, and there's no market demand to post it because 90% of dollars being paid are from insurance which is usually paid for by the employer or 55% of the time by government. So that's the original sin of healthcare. Long before Obamacare in the 90s, conservatives always wanted to get rid of that, to say we're going to get rid of this 275 billion massive um, market distortion. Massive, massive market distortion. The original sin that destroyed healthcare in America. Now, now we're not going to raise taxes, but we're going to remit it back to the businesses in the form of an across-the-board business tax. So now you have lower taxes. They could provide you with higher wages. You could take your full wage you're going to get instead of earning $65,000 and then having... $15,000 $15,000 to $20,000 going to uh, overutilized product to destroy the market and put individuals at a disadvantage and to raise the cost of health care on the supply side, you'd get $80,000 of your wages. Every one of the 300 million people in this country would be in equally in an individual market. Um, insurers would have to compete organically for their plans. Um, they'd have equal tax treatment, maybe with expanded HSAs. People would be more cost conscious, only get catastrophic. So then even insurance itself wouldn't be such a big deal would be cheap and then the remainder you'll pay out of pocket but the out of pocket prices will now be cheaper because where the the doctors and hospitals going to get it from you you're not willing to pay that much now you don't have the massive bulk payments from insurers or from government this is how it needs to work but why didn't we do it because it's tough because the bottom line is especially before Obamacare most people were pretty happy they got it from work. They, you know, had to contribute a certain amount. But most people, you know, boom, you just go give your card and maybe have a $20 co payment but you're happy with it. You never knew a system that wasn't like that except for the World War II generation that remembered what it was like to take your full salary. They write it off. They don't view it like I would have gotten $80,000. My salary is $65,000, and these are the benefits and, you know. So it was we were too scared to take it away to dump people off because if you take it away, then employers are like well I'm not going to offer it because I'm not getting a tax exclusion even though in the long run everyone would benefit. But it's tough. We we're scared of that transition. I understand it. That was called that. That was considered a third third rail of American politics. Why am I saying all this? Because Republicans with this bill are about to incur that very liability. Dumping people off their employer plans, but not solving the problem. Dumping them into an individual market that is now destroyed and non-existent because they're keeping the Obamacare insolvent regulations. So we're incurring that political liability that we did not want to incur for 30, 40, 50 years. Even though it would have solved healthcare in America. We're incurring it for nothing, for negative to go backwards to destroy ourselves. CBO is going to slaughter them when they come out with the score this week because 7 million people are going to lose their employer plans. Think about it, right now, it, it, it's it's crazy how much businesses have to pay, but they're forced to because of the employer mandate. The day this is passed, let's say it's signed into law July 10th, okay, July 10th, 2017. July 11th, right, the one thing it does repeal and repeal immediately are the individual employer mandates. The minute that happens, employers will drop it in a second. July 11th, it's gone. What happens to all those people? We will get blamed. You're going to have the chaos like anything, because the truth is, what are they going to do? Well, purchase a plan in the individual. Oh, whoops, there is no individual market. So again, just to be clear, as conservatives, we hate this business of employer-sponsored health care. But (laughs) that was before Obamacare. Post-Obamacare, it's kind of like a lifeline. I mean, it's somewhat of a bulwark, even though employee, you know, you guys that get it from work, I'm sure you could attest to this. You're certainly paying a lot more and getting a lot less out of pocket, um, but you know, at least you're kind of covered. Unlike the people like us in the individual market, I, you know, we're totally screwed. Um, you know, it's somewhat of the bulwark, so you don't want to dump people off of that until you heal the individual market. I, I would actually do the opposite. I would probably keep the employer mandate and individual mandate for maybe a year or two transition, but immediately get rid of the regs immediately have equal tax treatment, immediately expanded HSAs, so you heal the individual market, everyone sees how great it is, and then, hey, it's a lot easier to wean people off the employer base, and then you not just solve Obamacare, but you solve the original sin. But we're getting nothing for this. But this 10, 15-minute discussion is lost on Trump, it's lost on the Republicans, it's lost on most of the conservatives, it's lost on talk radio, it's lost on Rush Limbaugh, because facts and details don't matter. It's a crisis of values. It's a crisis of intellect. I don't know what to tell you guys. I mean, let me know what you think. What do you think I should be doing? No, I I could just sit back and take notes and sit back and just say, look, I warned you this guy was a liar and um, he was the exact opposite of what he was selling himself to be and say, see, I told you so. But I promised you in January, I said, look, I'm gonna do everything I can to try to not just write about it, but you know, privately with the little influence I have to you know, try to get things on the right track. Try to get him to do the right thing. But if no one punches him in the face and says Mr. President, you're betraying us he's going to keep going along. Now he's attacking conservatives the few conservatives that are opposing us and upholding his promise and again, they're not even asking for full repeal. At this point, they're not even asking for, for f- full repeal of Title I regs just some sort of waiver authority that's that's significant. Not like the phony one they have in the Senate bill. But that's where we are. Folks, I can't begin to tell you how much pain this is for me. And what I mean on a personal level, many of you know that in the 2014 election, 2012 elections, I spent a lot of time recruiting and supporting candidates that we're fighting against these clowns like Mitch McConnell in primaries. And actually, Mitch McConnell's original ad, we're, we're going to repeal Obamacare root and branch, was in response to ads and talking points I helped craft for some of these uh, political action committees. Um, because, <clears throat> you know, I was pointing out that they're just going to repeal the taxes, but not the actual Obamacare. We knew that already. And and I was told, man, Daniel, you're tearing down the GOP majority, you're creating an undue civil war. If only we could win back the majority, and then we'll have the presidency, you know, then we'll actually repeal it. You're making things up. Every Republican wants to repeal Obamacare. We just don't have the power to do it now. What's your problem? And you know, it it, it was tough proving that because, you know, people if you don't know what these people are about and the fact that the Chamber Chamber of Commerce really made it clear years ago they weren't repealing this, you'd think, yeah, of course, every Republican wants to repeal. It's so obvious that they couldn't even entertain that any Republican wouldn't want full repeal. Fast forward, and now they have everything, and now it is so obvious that they don't even want to do 5% repeal, and anyone who's even asking for a partial repeal, now we're the crazy ones. We were the crazy ones when we accused them of not doing full repeal. Now we're the crazy ones for wanting anything close to full repeal. This is a nightmare scenario where we're getting screwed with with, um, full control. Republicans have full control. That they're now okay with the most left-wing fiscal and social policies of the left. And conservatives are okay with Republicans committing political adultery. But then we can't even get the satisfaction of being proven right on the campaign trail because they'll come back again and run as conservatives. Oh, but the Democrats are terrible. We're going to fight them. And it goes on and on and on. It's the worst possible combination ever. I don't know where we go from here. I don't know. But I, knew, I what I do know is this. When when Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give, give me death, he meant that literally. They thought they were going to die. You know, we think it's obvious that they were going to win the Revolutionary War, but no, I mean – Britain was the great power at the time. It, if you were a betting man, you would have said they would have lost. So he didn't know that that the outcome would be positive. And he thought, you know, more li- likely than not, the outcome would not be positive. But outcomes are for God. God's salvation could come at the blink of an eye. But what is for us is Micah 6.8. is to walk with God, do liberty and justice, and speak the truth. And and that that's the best we can do. To stay with the fixed principles of the Declaration of Independence of the proper governance, you know, in those words of the preamble of the Declaration, we're going to celebrate this next week. Um, You know, we have uh, our manifesto going up next week. It's about two thousand words. I encourage you to read it. I'll, I'll let you know when it's up. But this is where we are we got to stay with the fixed principles. There's no shortcut. There really is no shortcut. You know, the preamble of the Declaration, you know, just, I'm going to keep coming back to that. Life, liberty, property, the right to self-defense, and the right to sovereignty, individual sovereignty, national sovereignty, meaning the sovereignty of the community, of the civil society that's creating the government, to make the decisions of that society and not have it be infiltrated by, by uh, foreign nationals without our consent. And that's another thing. The same conservative movement that did nothing after Oberger fell, after the Supreme Court and the lower courts redefined borders and election law and, and marriage and sexuality, they're okay with Obamacare now. They're okay with everything. It's all there in the 201 words, just 201 words of the Declaration. We'll talk about it next time. There's six principles embedded in there that speak to every policy issue. If you understand them properly, and again, Mark Levin in his new book deals with this a lot, there's no ambiguity of where to stand on any issue. And again, what we're asking for is so realistic. We're not asking to get rid of Social Security, God forbid, you know, We're not even talking about getting rid of that. I mean, allowing younger people to... Uh, invest a portion of their payroll tax in private accounts. We're, all we're talking about is the stuff that Trump and the Republicans ran on. Half of it. Nothing. We, we get nothing. And yet conservatives are fine with it. This is the crisis we have. Look, if if nothing else, the only good thing about this all is that gold is going to be a good investment because I can guarantee you it is clear that our fiscal... Um, solvency is going to go the way of our social fabric in this country. The same way that Republicans and then conservatives completely acquiesce, and now even embrace cultural Marxism, they've embraced economic Marxism. So gold is always going to be a good hedge against that. That's why you want to get your free information kit on investing in physical precious metals from my buddies over at Birch Gold Group. Go to birchgold.com forward slash CR and get your free guide, 16 pages, revealing how gold and silver can protect your savings. Again, 10, 15% of your investment. It's definitely worthwhile Um, long-term. I'm telling you, there's only one direction where it could go long-term, given what's going on um, with the valuation of the dollar, the debt, and everything. Um, Healthcare is the linchpin to that. You lose healthcare, it's everything. It is everything. We cannot have an economy that grows beyond 2% ever. We cannot have anything below 100% of debt-to-GDP ratio. It's going to go to 150, 170 within the next 20 years. So, um, look, when you can't beat him, join him. Try to invest against it. Also, get your subscription to CRTV, promo code HOROWITZ. This is going to be a packed week until I go on vacation. It's depressing. Send me your emails. Cheer me up. Send me your notes. God bless you all. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.